Amen. Thank you so much, Ryan and Katie. Um, good morning, everybody. So glad to be back and uh, here day two on this chapel uh, week, the theme of Do Justice. And we are uh, excited and honored again to have uh, Bethany Wang uh, with us for our second day. And uh, if you weren't here yesterday, let me just uh, share a little bit about her and then we'll invite her up and pray for her and ourselves. And as she speaks to us this morning. So Bethany uh, uh, spent time studying, preparing for ministry. and got an MDiv at uh, Princeton Theological Seminary. Uh, she serves as an advisor for the International Justice Mission, or IJM. And, uh, and having been IJM's director of biblical justice initiatives, uh, she served in that role for more than a decade. She also serves on the board of directors for Human Trafficking Institute. And she's the author of two books, one, Deepening the Soul of Justice, and then co-author of an award-winning book, The Justice Calling. Uh, originally from the D.C. area, but her and her husband and three kids and dog uh, live here uh, in South Minneapolis. So would you give another warm Northwestern welcome as we have Bethany. Thank you. Right. Would you guys extend a hand out towards Bethany and then a hand up for your own heart as we pray. Father in heaven, thank you for your pursuit of us. We're here today because of that. Help us to respond by pursuing you passionately, that we would be transformed today. Not just for our own sake, but for the sake of others. Would you fill Bethany, fill us, that we would encounter you together. We love you. We surrender to you now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks so much, Justin. Good morning again. It's great to see. I'm sure there are some of you were here yesterday some of you were not here yesterday i love that i get to be here two days in a row and just as a really quick recap of where we were yesterday and what we were looking at we were looking at one central question and that was this how and what does it mean to pursue jesus and to be transformed by jesus but not merely for our own sake not just for our own salvation and our own sense of being changed and made new, but for the sake of others. What does it mean to pursue Jesus, to be transformed by him, not just for our own sake, but for the sake of others, and most specifically for the sake of a world that is deeply broken and in need. And we took a moment and we talked about what is justice? What is justice from the Bible? How do we understand justice in the scriptures? And we talked about justice being, in its most simple understanding, it's setting things right. But that can be really abstract, right? What does right even mean? And so we looked at the opposite. Anyone remember the opposite of right? Wrong, wrong right. So, wrong. Uh, we looked at the reality, though, of wrongness. Another word for that is injustice. Injustice is fundamentally an abuse of power. It's taking the good power that God has given to every single one of us and using it to exploit people, to take what God has given to others and to take it for ourselves. That's what happens in every single situation of injustice. And no matter how broad and theoretical you can get with mass systems of injustice, you can get lost up in that abstract realm, it always comes back down to real people. Injustice is always about real people and an individual person who is choosing to make a choice to exploit their power to hurt another person. 
That's what we're talking about. We're talking about what's wrong in the world, what we've taken a, of God's goodness and distorted it. And we look specifically at the wrong, the injustice of human trafficking, of slavery, modern day slavery, that there's more slaves in the world today than any other time in human history. It's a $150 billion industry. It's massive. It's driven by economic opportunity. It's highly profitable because you can sell a human body over and over again. And as we talked about all of that, we also talked about the fact that that can get really overwhelming really fast, and it can be very easy to just say, well, what, why would it even matter to try to do anything? 45 million people in slavery, $150 billion. What does it even matter if I do something, if I even try to help one person? That cynicism that leads very quickly to despair. But there's this very thin line that separates despair from something far more powerful. And that's hope. And it's not just vague general hope. It's hope in God. Because justice, even if we try not to be cynical and even if we try to come up with all these great ideas for how to launch out into the world and to do justice, even our best intentions will ultimately not last. We need to be deeply grounded, not in ourselves and our own good ideas or passions for the world. We need to be grounded in the God of justice. Justice doesn't begin with us. It begins in the heart of God. And so when we feel that temptation to despair, cynicism, what we do is we take all those questions and doubts that we have about the world and whether it even matters if we're doing anything, and we bring those to God. Because the thing about God is that he wants it all. He wants all of us. He doesn't just want your happy praise music. He wants gratitude. He knows that fills us. But when you can't feel gratitude, he wants that too. Even the anger and the disillusionment, if you turn toward God with that, that is a step of faith, bringing even your raw doubt to God as an act of going to God in faith, drawing near, and he will draw near to you. He already is. And I introduced you to these two girls, Kunti and Chanda. We were talking about Isaiah 58 and God's call to break chains of injustice. That yes, there are chains in our own heart, our own spiritual yoke of sin, and there are literal, physical chains in the world that Isaiah, back in his day, he called God's people to eradicate, and God is calling us today. And we heard about Kunti and Chanda, and when I first met them, knowing their story, knowing that they were sold by their mothers to human traffickers, that they were 11 years old, knowing that they were drugged with narcotics to stifle them from crying, knowing that they were raped at will by whoever came to buy them, that their smiles were forced to put on a show for these customers. Knowing that and looking at Isaiah and seeing this promise of, do justice, your light will rise in the darkness, and just being hit between the eyes with, 
but this kind of darkness? How does light rise in this kind of darkness? And knowing again that it has to come back over and over again. We have to come back to knowing that, that those questions, we bring it to God. We don't start with ourselves. We start with the God of justice. And that's what will let us draw near even to this kind of suffering to get closer to it rather than shrink away. In the work that I did with International Justice Mission, IJM, there were three spiritual practices that helped us to continually choose to move toward hope in the God of justice when we were tempted to despair. Helped us to keep moving forward toward the needs of others rather than away. Those three practices were prayer, they are, it's prayer, it's scripture, and it's community. Not rocket science, right? <laughs> We've heard of these things. Talking to God, reading the Bible, knowing you're not alone, prayer, scripture, community. But there's a, a some significant things we need to understand about those three things, particularly in the face of injustice. And if there's anything that you're going to walk out of here today with remembering, this is what I want you to remember. It's the kind of truth where you need to remember it today, but not just today. I want you to know it five years from now, when you're full into your career, your calling, your ministry, wherever God is leading you. I want you to remember it 10 years from now. 40 years from now, it's this. If seeking justice begins with seeking God, the God of justice, then the work of justice, our work of justice, begins with stopping. If seeking justice begins with God, then our work of justice with God has to start with stopping. The three practices, prayer, scripture, and community, these are all forms of stopping. They remind us to start with hope in the God of justice, not with our own ideas, not with our own best intentions, and not with giving ourselves over to resignation or despair or distraction. They stop us before the God of justice so that he can form us. He is the one who's forming us to be like Jesus in this world. So the first thing, prayer. So IJM is this organization that if you can picture like the most type A people that you know, who are like hard charging, like need to get everything done on time, and they're dealing with life and death matters. So it actually matters that they do their work excellently, that they show up every day, that they're ready to go. So picture this, lawyers, criminal investigators, social workers, communications and development specialists, all different types of staff, all under this one organization, just hard charging. And every single day after they 
take care of their families or their dog or whatever they do at their house in the morning and they get themselves dressed and they get in the car and they fight traffic, especially in DC where the headquarters are or um, Bangkok or Bangalore where there's just massive amounts of craziness just to get to your office. They get through all of that, they come to the door of the office and then picture this. The lights are off. Everything is still. The phones are off. It's 8.30 in the morning, right when everybody is at the height of beginning their work day. Laptops are closed. Every single day, this is what IJM staff to arrive to. And it's called the 8.30 stillness. Everyone quietly goes to their desk. Everything is put aside except being with the God of justice before starting the work of justice. It's stopping. It's Sabbath rest right at the height of work. It's completely counterintuitive. But what this 30-minute stillness of 8.30 to 9 every day does is it makes a declaration. It's a declaration you can make with your day every single day that the day belongs to the Lord. That the work, whatever work is in front of you, it belongs to God. It's his work. He's working through you. This is his day, his work, and you belong to him. That's what's stopping Sabbath, rest, stopping. That's what it declares. And then scripture. We talked about this some yesterday. But one of the most profound choices that we can make when we are turning ourselves toward God rather than away from him and toward those who are in need, rather than shrinking back. We can pull out our Bible, no matter how well we think we may know it, but pull it out again and ask the Holy Spirit to teach us, to stop and to open his word. Yesterday, we were asking this question, and this morning again, what does right mean? How do we even know the meaning of right? How do we make sure that when we're pursuing what we think is justice, that it's not just a distorted, cultural, um, constructed vision? How do we learn what is actually right in the eyes of God? We learn it by stopping, renewing our mind with scripture. And the thing is, there's a whole interconnected story here from Genesis to Revelation. I think too often we take the Bible and we just break it up into these bite-sized nuggets easily digestible, apply it to certain situations of our life, go on our way, try to get some inspiration here and there, some encouragement. Some of that can be good, but there's a whole interconnected story from Genesis to Revelation showing God's heartbeat and his call, and we need to know it and to go deeper into it all the time. Because in it, God is showing how much he longs for justice and righteousness in this world and that he's calling us to join him in seeking it. And in it, we find the meaning of what is right, what is good, 
when we ask, what do we do with our lives? How do we live in a right way? We look to Jesus. He is the measure that God gives us. His life, his death, his resurrection, they all serve as a measure against which we can determine what's right and what's not right. And that's because God, when he came to us in Jesus, in the flesh, he showed us that he had all of the power and authority in the entire universe, and yet he consistently took that power. He didn't keep it for himself. He didn't abuse it and exploit it like so many do when they get power. Jesus consistently used his power and authority not for his own gain, but for the flourishing of others. Philippians 2, it says that Jesus poured out his life to the point of death. He pours out his power to us. And so we look to Jesus Christ, the word of God, to understand what is right. It is us pouring ourselves out for others, especially when it costs us. Through Jesus' life, his death, his resurrection, Jesus isn't just showing us, though, a measure. He's not giving us an idea of what to follow then. We have to figure that out on our own, how to be like Jesus. No, he's actually sharing his righteousness with us. He is imparting it to us. His Holy Spirit is filling us and enabling us to be like him. It's not something we muster on our own. We don't break our own chains. Jesus breaks them. He shares his righteousness with us. And he's the one who sets us right with God so that we can be part of setting the world right with him. And he's doing it. It's not done yet. We're really far, it feels like, some days from the world being set back to right. But he is at work making all things new, and he's calling us into that restoration work with him. Second Corinthians talks about how we are Jesus' ambassadors, ambassadors of reconciliation, being transformed not for our own sake merely, but for the sake of others. The words of Jesus and the prophets almost every page from Genesis to Revelation. The whole thing. You want to understand justice. You want to understand what to do in the world. Draw close to God. Ask him to help you draw near to others. Read what's happening in the world through the lens of scripture and read scripture while knowing what's happening in the world. There's no deeper darkness than the darkness of other human beings being bought and sold by each other, exploiting, a human being exploiting another human being, selling a small child for sex, letting their body get used over and over and over again, discarded. There's no deeper darkness than that. there's also no greater light than Jesus who tells us that he is the light that scatters all the darkness. He's the light of the world and he doesn't stop there. He tells us that we are the light of the world. He says to his disciples, you are the light of the world. That is who you are. 
I've been working in this fight against human trafficking for more than 14 years now. And Kunti and Chanda, they were the very first victims of human trafficking that I ever met. That's why I come back to their story. Of the thousands of stories there are, I come back to theirs over and over again. They were the very first ones I ever met face to face. And the only reason that I got to meet them was because they were followers of Jesus who decided that they would stop and they would seek first the God of justice and they would draw near with God's leading to those who are suffering injustice. This is the spiritual practice of community. They came together and they stopped together to know the God of justice and to be sent out together by the God of justice to draw near to those who needed to be rescued. So this convicted community, Christians following Jesus, beginning to believe that Jesus, that justice is central to following him. There was this whole movement around the time that Kunti and Chanda were in their brothel. A whole movement was starting to be born of Christians, not just in one organization, IJM, but in churches all over the world who hadn't before known about the heart of justice that God beats. They were starting to come awake, though, to the fact that it's all over scripture, that it's all over the call of Jesus to us. And so there was IJM, there were Christians in other organizations in Cambodia, there were churches in the United States and in Europe and other parts of the world, all starting to come awake. And IJM in particular in Cambodia started going, fueled by the power of prayer of Christians coming awake all around the world and partnered with others in country, they started going into the very heart of the most corruption in Cambodia. They went into the heart of the police force, the very police officers who were profiting from the sale of thousands of little girls like Kunti and Chanda and Kunti and Chanda in particular. They were turning a blind eye, they were taking bribes from traffickers, and IJM went into the heart of that darkness with the light of Christ. They started forming relationships, they started bringing evidence of what was happening to Kunti and Chanda, and they'd get turned away repeatedly. Sometimes they would go on a rescue operation with the police after convincing them of evidence, only to find that someone in the police force had tipped off the brothel keepers before they got there, and the girls were gone. There was such deep corruption. But Christians following Jesus in the world, we are like that leaven in bread that Jesus talks about. A tiny bit can spread through the whole loaf, and that's what started to happen in Cambodia. And Kunti and Chanda's case was one of the very first where IJM and the Cambodian National Police Force finally went together 
to their brothel. There were no tip-offs. Kunti and Chanda were there. And they got them out. And they arrested. You can clap. We should definitely clap. Yes. They got them out. And they arrested the traffickers, which is a linchpin thing to do. It's not only the rescuing. You have to arrest and stop the traffickers. And together with Kunti and Chanda, these brave little 11-year-old girls, IJM and the Cambodian government officials, they built a case against the traffickers together. And Kunti and Chanda actually stood in a tiny Cambodian courtroom and they bore witness face to face against their traffickers and spoke how they had been tortured. And as a direct result of their own testimony, those traffickers were convicted and they were sentenced to prison so they could not take any more victims into their power. And Kunti and Chanda, when I met them, their smiles were not forced anymore. They were the true smiles of children. Just after their rescue, my colleagues, again, I did not rescue them. I got to come and meet them afterwards. And my colleagues who had done this incredibly brave, painstaking work of being on the front lines with them, the first thing they did when they get, brought them out was give them stuffed animals. So often that it's children they need to know, to be reminded again, that they are children, that they are precious and beloved. But when I met them, they were in this sa a safe house where they had already started to receive counseling, art therapy, loads of unconditional love and safety and security. I remember they took me into their bedroom and showed me their bunk beds and they had these um, drawings uh, taped up to their walls and they actually gave them some of them to take home with me as my most treasured possessions to this day. And we brought them some hamburgers and french fries and we were a little bit late getting there, getting weaving through Cambodian traffic and they're like, you guys, the french fries are a little cold. And like that just brought me so much joy that here's these little girls and they are safe enough to be able to complain about french fries being cold. And this is what happens though, when followers of Jesus begin to wake up to God's heartbeat for justice. And when followers of Jesus come together in prayer-fueled community, a community that stops and talks to God, to the God of justice first, that brings freedom, it brings flourishing. And Kuti and Chanda, they're thriving today and they are the tip of the iceberg of what has been happening in Cambodia over the past 14 years since they were rescued. They are part of an uprising of restoration and protection that's come to thousands of children in Cambodia since that first rescue operation um, back in 2003. And in Cambodia over the last 15 years, it's been absolutely astounding how the sale of children has completely decreased. Brothels have been shut down, and some of them have actually been transformed into community centers run by Christians who hold nights of worship and Bible study and vacation Bible school in the summers, and they have sports and games. It's crazy. Like, actual heinous brothels have been shut down, bought, and sold by Christians in the community. Thousands of children have been rescued, and hundreds of traffickers and pimps have been held accountable. 
There's been this incredible transformation in the Cambodia National Police Force, too. They lead their own rescue operations now, full stop. No longer does IJM need to go in and try to root out the corruption. It has turned around. And from a country that was literally on the brink of despair and was known as the go-to place to go by the youngest of children and exploit them, it's been absolutely flooded with hope and transformation, and it shows us what's possible. What's possible. So I want you to take a moment. This is going to be a little bit silly. Under your chairs, some of you, just a few of you, look under your chairs. There is a can of Play-Doh. If you find one, open it. I promise you guys are going to leave in just a second, okay? Open it, break it open. Anyone, do you all find it? Hold up your hand if you have it. You have it? I want you to just break it open and start passing it around. See how many bits of Play-Doh you can get around to each other in like the next 20 seconds. Okay, here you go, right down there. Can you catch it? <laughs> Here's a can, ready? Okay. There you go, sorry. Okay, pass it around. Here's what you're doing right now. There is no profound analogy coming for this Play-Doh, just to be clear. What you're doing is you are looking at each other. Here you go. See if you can grab, good catch, nice. Um, you are looking at one another, and I want you to ask yourself, who is in my community? Who are my friends? Who are my professors? Who are the ones I really feel a connection to and respect? Who might God bring into my life? But who can I tap to ask to join with me and to practice stopping together? And as you take a little piece of Play-Doh with you, here, you guys down there, ready? Take some, sorry, my son would be, oh, he's an athlete, he would be dying right now. Um, what I want you to remember, take a little piece of Play-Doh with you. It's going to be annoying. It'll get like fuzz on it. It'll be dirty. But stick it somewhere, like stick it on your phone or on your notebook and let it remind you that Jesus is forming you. So yes, cheesy, right? Play-Doh forming. But here's the thing about our brains. Our brains get woken up by these sensory reminders so take it with you and remember to find community while you're here. Don't go out into the world alone. Figure out who am I going to ask to stop with me? Who could join me every morning in prayer? Who can remind me to open up the word of God when I don't feel like it anymore? Who's going to call me out five years from now and remind me to serve the needs of others, not my own needs? So take it with you. Seeking the God of justice through prayer, through scripture, through community, calling each other out into the world.
we go out of here today, let's remember that we are facing darkness. You look at your silly piece of Play-Doh, remember that you serve a God of laughter, you serve a God of joy, you serve a God who wants to connect you to others, you serve a God who wants to form you to be more like Jesus, and he's doing that work in you, you don't have to figure it out. What he wants you to do is to stop. Let's pray together. Lord God, we are grateful for you. You are calling us to hope and to joy and the pursuit of justice. Do not let us be deceived. There are broken things in this world that you are calling us to fix, but we are not on our own. You are with us. You are working in us. You are working in these students. Would you grab a hold of their minds and their hearts today as they walk out of here? And would you yourself remind them that you are forming them, you are calling them out. Remind them that it's not on them. They can stop. They can rest. They can ask you what is next. And you will show us, Lord God of the universe, this is your world and you are working. Praise be to you, Lord Jesus Christ. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. Amen.